Welcome to the Sidious Mac Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Chavez. The Sidious Mac Podcast is presented by Final Surge. No matter if you're an athlete or a coach, Final Surge helps plan and attain both short and long-term training success. Their free online training log is compatible with Garmin, Strava, Polar, Stride, Koros, and a slew of other apps and devices. If you're a coach, Final Surge makes planning and analyzing workouts simple and helps streamline communication with you and your athletes. Some of the top coaches in the world who have been guests on this podcast use it on a daily basis. If you're an athlete out there who's hammering miles and tempo runs solo with no guidance or direction, well, Final Surge is also here to offer up some world-class training programs. Get yourself a training plan for that spring 5K, that half marathon or full marathon that's on your calendar right now. They've got plans from Ben Rosario and NAZ Elite. Drew Hunter and Christine Thorne and the Tin Man Squad have their hammer and axe plans. You can always hit the classics with Greg McMillan or Boston Marathon champion Ambie Burfoot. And if you are a fan of the sport and are curious how the pros are training, Kellen Taylor, Stephanie Bruce, and the rest of the NAZ Elite Squad share all of their training logs on Final Surge. Give it all a look at FinalSurge.com. Sidious Mag listeners can get 10% off their purchases by using code Sidious at checkout. So check it out today. Support for this episode also comes from listeners like you. Many thanks to everyone who has backed us on Patreon. A warm welcome to Merlin Collins for signing up within the past week. If you enjoy what we're doing across the City Smack Podcast Network, whether it's this show, Run Your Mouth, More Than Running, D3 Glory Days, or if you just follow us on social media to keep up with all the latest news and happenings in the sport, support us over at patreon.com slash Mag. On Patreon, you can donate anything from a dollar a month, and we even have some people who donate $20 a month, $15 a month, $31 a month, which is a dollar a day. It's also that we can cover our hosting expenses, plan for on-location coverage, hit some content trips, cover some website expenses, and hire a podcast producer for some projects. This past weekend, we did After the Final Lap at New Balance Nationals Indoor, live from the Armory. You can watch that show on YouTube or listen to it on the go in podcast form. So much awesomeness from our time spent with Emma Coburn, Corey McGee, Trayvon Burmel, and the stars of tomorrow. We're actually headed to Flagstaff next week to produce some more content. So thanks to everyone who has backed us because that's what makes it all possible. For those of you who are unable to commit to a monthly contribution, you can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. Feel free to include any message to let us know why. It could be because you're enjoying the conversations, maybe we're keeping you company on a run or a commute, or if you just want to shout out a friend, teammate, coach, or family member who really loves the show. Consider Venmo like a virtual tip jar. Those who chipped in this past week on Venmo include Corey Blodgett. He said, shout out to my friend Meredith Barber. Her birthday is coming up and she loves the podcast. I'm glad you enjoy the show, Meredith. Wishing you a great year ahead. Olivia DeHart contributed and said, Super inspiring to listen to mom, Kira D'Amato, listened on my run earlier, entering my final trimester. Thanks for your great content, guys. Thank you, Olivia. Congratulations on being a mom-to-be. I'm excited for you to experience some of life's most precious moments ahead with a beautiful baby. You can also rep Sidious Mag anywhere you go by supporting us and picking up a sweater or t-shirt or crew neck over at SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab. We have a new Wordle-inspired track t-shirt for those track junkies out there. Last thing, before we get to the interview, I'm always grateful for the listeners who leave a little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Your reviews and ratings help new people discover the show and let future sponsors know what you think. So thanks to everyone who shares the episode on their social media pages, on their Instagram stories, and tags us. I do my best to repost everyone. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My guest for today's episode is Elise Cranny, who returns to the show for the first time in two years. 
Last time she was on was in 2020 after she ran 14.48 for 5K, which was a major breakout performance for her. We went through her high school, college, and early pro years, but ever since then, she's ramped it up to the next level. In 2021, she won the Olympic trials in the 5K and then finished 13th in the Tokyo Olympics in that event. She also was fourth in the 10K at the trials, and last month she ran 1433.17 to break the 5,000-meter indoor American record. And then less than two weeks ago, she hit the track outdoors in California at Sound Running's The 10 and ran 3014.66 for the second-fastest 10K time by an American woman. Only Molly Huddle's American record is faster. So I got the chance to catch up with her about all those major runs, where she thinks she can take things to the next level from here and much more. So without further ado, welcome back, Elise Cranny. All right, now we welcome back Elise Cranny to the CS Mag podcast. And we did this two years ago, and I feel like so much life has happened since then. We're now like, you are an Olympian. You're an American record holder. You're rewriting the all-time list. Like, there's so much to to touch on. But first off, congrats on all the success you've been having. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. I actually can't believe it's been two years. So we're we're due for a full catch up. Yeah, for sure. Because like the first time I had you on was right after you ran what 14:48 for mm-hmm. the 5K, and that was like the big sort of moment where even like this past weekend I was like texting a couple friends of mine and they're like when did Elise get this good and I was like well I mean like that 5k two years ago was like the first big sign of things and how have you gone about sort of like answering that question when you get it from people is like I mean you were in the first episode we did we touched on your high school career and everything where it's like the signs have been there all along and you've had this progression by, you know, going to college then eventually turning pro. But even so this jump from 2020 to even now was, has been huge. So when someone does ask you, how'd you get this good, this fast? Like, how do you go about answering that? Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing, which like, isn't a very exciting flashy answer, but is just consistency. Like, I think we, I mean, we kind of talked about that um, you know, before, or like after that 5k in 2020, just kind of like the pandemic, just having like so many months of uninterrupted training and just figuring out, um, you know, the system under Jerry and the training in terms of like figuring out how to stay healthy and be able to train really hard. And I think, um, yeah, I think for, I think about this a lot of just like in college, I think I just missed so much time that there was just I never could fully train the way that I like wanted to, or knew that I needed to for, you know, the goals that I had. And so I think, um, yeah, I just say the consistency over the last two years and just like, you know, building mileage and being able to like handle the workouts way better. Um, yeah, has made a huge difference. Do you remember what it was kind of like training for like that sub 1450 first 5k two years ago? And then like, is it daunting then to all of a sudden now starting to think like, how am I going to try and break like 1430 and, and even, even like 30 minutes in the 10 K? Cause if it would have been two years ago, you know, Shalane or Jerry talking to you about these kind of times that you're running now, I'm sure it would have been like, there's no way. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And I remember that. I mean, even 
you know, like a couple weeks after I ran that 1448 is when Shelby and Carissa ran the like 1420. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like, I feel like I just ran 1448. Like I can't imagine running like 25 seconds faster than that. Um, but when I even look at just like the training between like then and now it's like so different. Like I was, you know, trying to work out with them that summer, but was like finishing half the workouts and just like, at like felt like I was sprinting every single rep that was supposed to be 5k pace. And so I think, you know, there's definitely like the good thing about, I feel like the consistency in the training is like, I slowly was able to see like, okay, this is how you, you know, can slowly chip away at that time and like get into the 1430s and hopefully, you know, one day get into the 1420s of just like, um, you know, the more like months and years that you stack on in terms of training, you just get so much stronger and able to handle that workload. But yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. I feel like <laughs> I'm finally like starting to get the hang of, you know, some 5k sessions, which was not happening when we were talking two years ago. <laughs> Does running 1440 feel totally different than 14, 1433, what you ran a couple weeks ago when, I mean, it's got it. Like, but now do you even think like running a 1445 is easy when that's like almost 10 seconds slower than your PR? It's so, I don't, I don't think at any point it ever feels like easy. Like that was even you know, when I ran the 5k to get the world standard, like I think it was December of 2020 or something. And I ran like 1504 there. I was like, Oh my gosh, like, how did I ever run 1440? Like that felt like so hard. Like, (laughs) and so I think it's like, yeah, I think it's, I guess more just like the training and feeling prepared to be like, okay, I've been, you know, doing more workouts at, you know, 70 second pace instead of, you know, 72 second pace and that's starting to feel more comfortable. And just, I don't know. I think like the mental piece of that going into races is, is like the biggest thing. Is that 70 second uh, pace, like at altitude though? Like it is right. Uh, yeah, I guess we were doing, we were going down to Phoenix for like a lot of our specific sessions, um, which was actually really nice. I feel like just to be able to like really get that race effort and yeah. Jerry doesn't usually like to adjust too much. So it's, it's nice to be able to do specific sessions at sea level. (laughs) So let's kind of pick up where you touched on that 5k in December, 2020. Now to just kind of continue along the trajectory since our last conversation, 2021, obviously huge year with the Olympics, you end up winning the 5k finished fourth in the 10k I mean, so all in all, how did you sort of walk away from the Olympic trials? Like you, you became an Olympian. That's goal number one, mission accomplished in that sense, but just so close to two teams that Carissa pulled off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think initially, like after the 10K, it's hard. It's just like kind of that, like you remember the thing that's most recent and it's hard. It was hard to be like, oh, five days ago, you were just like absolutely on top of the world. Like, don't like, I don't know, take away like learning experiences from the 10 K, but don't kind of let it like (laughs) alter your whole like vision and thought of like the trials. Um, but yeah, I think especially like seeing Carissa do that, I was just like, Oh, I want to be able to like, you know, do that with her and and run the 10 K with her. I think it was, 
yeah, when we got to Tokyo, it was sad because I, you had to leave like within two days of your race. So I was like, I'm sorry, I'm leaving you behind. <laughs> like, you're gonna, um, but at least she had, she had Emily and Alicia, which was a great team. But yeah, I think it was definitely like, in, in I mean, just so many emotions in such a short, you know, couple of days. Um, so kind of going from the 5k to them being like, oh, so close in the 10k, um, was like a little bit disappointing in terms of the 10k but I think then just quickly focused to like okay let's you know go all in and see what we can do to prepare to be you know racing at the global level in the 5k winning the 5k at the trials is like four years before that or five years I guess technically before that like it just sort of like did it hit you when you cross the finish line just how much this whole, I guess, build up and the hard work from that whole entire time led to that moment. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy too, with that extra year. Like, I don't know. I just, I had run at the trials in 2016, but like, didn't make it to the final. And it was just like, wow. Like, I feel like so much has happened in five years, you know, like you're, I mean, at that point it was like, I had been you know, with Byerman for like over two and a half years. And it's like, you feel like you're kind of just in this whole different stage of life and a whole different, um, spot. So definitely looking back and being, you know, looking at kind of the journey of the last five years was, was crazy for sure. I'm looking at like your stats right now from like last year and you PR'd in the 1500, the mile, the three K the two mile, but it's like the two events or no. And you did PR in the, in the 10 K in February but like the 5k, the one that you ended up winning the trials in was the one that you didn't PR in, but that's because 1448 was like such a tall order, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think that's like when you asked to, when, you know, you're like, okay, how did you like drop so much time in the 5k for instance? It's like, I think I was really excited to race Boston because I was like, I feel like I haven't run like, a, you know, set up fast 5k in yeah. two years. And I'm like, two years is a lot of you know, time to like figure out the distance more and, you know, get that training. And so it was, it was like just a lot of like championship style five Ks, um, in between like, yeah, 2020 and and Boston this year. So then you go on to the Olympics. Now let's hit us with the, how were the cardboard beds and (laughs) the overall Olympic village experience? honestly the cardboard beds were 10 out of 10 I feel like you wouldn't have even wouldn't even known that they were cardboard they were nice and sturdy honestly they were actually like a little bit the mattresses are a little bit too stiff so it was yeah it was not a not a problem at all (laughs) I think um yeah it was nice person I got to room together and then um you were kind of in a like suite and so there were like three other rooms with two people in each room and they put us with people from different events. So that was, that was really fun, um, to get to know some other people on, on team USA. Um, so yeah. You're lucky. Cause like, in that sense, like you've spent so much time around Carissa that like, if you had been just like sort of individual, I feel like it's an added component that no one really talks about in the lead up to like the Olympics. It's like, Oh, you're going to have a roommate at the Olympic village. And like, then you have to really kind of start wondering, like, does that person snore? Like, is, are they a sleepwalker? And so you <laughs> didn't have to worry about that at least. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so nice to not worry about that. And it's just nice when you're, you know, like navigating a new, new place and like a very, yeah, like kind of amazing, but also like sensory overload experience to, to have someone that you've like trained with and, and know really well. And yeah, we, I think we met some 
baseball players at one point and they were like do you got you got we see you together all the time like <laughs> so we get Swiss we were, sisters <laughs> yeah <laughs> we were definitely spending uh yeah every waking and then being roommates together uh moment together in the village so <laughs> and it was weird because although you guys had coaches there where like Jerry and Shalane made the trip and you couldn't see them like too often where it was just at that team USA like practice track right yeah yeah it was definitely weird like not really seeing them or being in contact until we would like see them like at you know doing strides before the race and then when we got to the track at the race so like those pre-race sort of conversations that happen has it traditionally been you and Carissa separately or like do you are the two of you kind of in the same conversation with Jerry and Shalane when it comes to establishing a race plan or like the night before a race yeah usually we've been like discussing it together and I think that's something that was like super helpful I mean we are in different um heats of the prelim but I think in the final it was like you know we've trained together we you know like this is both our first Olympic final and so I think you know it was like Jerry was like you guys can like really work together and I think that was really helpful to to have a race plan um, together and be able to kind of like switch off leads a little bit and know like, okay, I train with this person. Like I can, I can stay here with them or, you know, vice versa. So 1455, that was your season's best last year, 13th place. You walk away from the games. Like what kind of grade would you have given that performance? Oh man. Um, Jeez, I don't know. Not you're, not a very high. You're grade. always going to be your harshest critic. <laughs> not a very high grade. Um, I think it was the type of thing where um, I've kind of said this. I think you know Shalane or even Carissa having run at Doha in 2019. Like a lot of people were preparing us for kind of what the like championship 5K at the global level is like. They're like it's probably going to be really fartlicky. Like it's like I don't know. I feel like people told us exactly what it would be like but I felt like it was something that we had to, like I had to experience to fully know what that was like. Like I had to be in the race and be like, Oh, this is what people are talking about, but know how to kind of deal with it. Like, I feel like it was a type of race where you finish and you're like, I wish I could run that like a week from now and do it over. Cause I would do a lot of things very differently. <laughs> Cause I remember when I've had Chris Linsky on this podcast in like May, 2020, I think it was. And like, I, we went through his career and I talked to him about like the first time that he was at world championships. And he said, like the thing that stood out to him the most was how easy it felt for the other people around him. And you could tell by sort of like body language and like people's breathing that, you know, like Kipchoge or Bekele in the same race is not exerting as much energy and like in as like feeling crappier as the race when, when you when he's feeling crappy these guys are still sort of in control and feeling fine now did you sort of pick up on similar things having this been your first you know global championship final that you know you look around and a Stefan Hassan is doesn't seem like as tired as, <laughs> as someone like you in those closing laps yeah I mean okay and the story about Stefan is like I still feel like Chris and I like laugh at ourselves because we like we watched the, you know, prelim in the morning and we were like, oh my gosh, maybe the fall and her running, like took something out of her. And then we were just like, who are we kidding? Like, she's totally unfazed. She is like at another level. 
So I think, yeah, to that point is like, I mean, even in that race um, and like the prelim as well, is just, you know, hearing people, um, you know, when they're switching off leads or like you could hear people like talking or making comments to one another, kind of moving around and like, especially in the final, I feel like, um, you know, Chris and I felt like we were kind of like hanging on to the back the whole time. And then when it was far looking, it's like we were kind of off and then back on. So it was like, that definitely feels defeating when you're like, people are talking and like controlling the race. And here we are just like being pulled back and forth and like trying to stay connected. But like, that's such a different feeling, you know, like you're like, even just mentally to be like, I don't know, I'm trying to stay connected, but clearly we're like, you know, keep kind of getting broken and then trying to reattach, like you just hang on by a thinner and thinner thread each time it happens. <laughs> It, it was the Olympics and it was like in front of like an empty stadium. Like, did it feel like it, like you would probably imagine in like, it probably didn't feel like what you imagine, like in your dreams. Cause you're thinking obviously Olympics, big thing. And instead it's quiet. And when you find yourself in a race like that, I feel like you're just doing more thinking about like I, the, the race at hand, but probably like in a normal situation, but just like you're in, I feel like you'd get in your head more and like not able to feed off of as much like excitement. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely just not as much like, and you know, like when you hear, and I think this is something that I actually didn't realize until I like did a couple of races in Europe, like after Tokyo. And I think that's when it's like that type of thing where it had been so long since we had been in a stadium with people that you almost forget what that's like. So I was like, oh, there was like an energy in Tokyo. Like maybe it wasn't like screaming fans, but there was like an energy in the stadium. Yeah. But then I like ran a 3K in Paris and it was like, oh no, like I'm glad I didn't have any of these experiences like before Tokyo. Cause then you kind of like, you know, forgot like what that was really like to just have like a fully packed stadium. And it's like, it was weird. Cause it's like, we can hear like, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like the only Olympic race like or time that you can like hear your coach like yeah I vividly remember us coming around I felt like we could see like Jerry and Shalane like you know sitting there and like you could you could hear them because no one is near them at all so <laughs> so all in all which which of the th these three experiences would you say was or you can rank them in terms of just like most fun and memorable would be winning the 5k at the Olympic trials the Olympic final, or even, I guess, pre-classic was when there was, I think the most fans at Hayward and you ran the yeah. two mile there. So like of those three, I guess you can, how would you sort of rank them in terms of meaning plus like excitement, like in, if for you, for you? Yeah. Oh man. I think I like want to put Tokyo first just because it's like, I mean, you like want to, cause it's like your experience at the Olympic games. But I think I might have to put the trials first just because like, you know, that was kind of really the first time that there were like fans. I think it just being at the, um, you know, the new stadium, having like, you know, friends and family there. I think that was something that was definitely hard about Tokyo. And like, again, why I'm grateful that Chris and I had one another because it's like you're taking in this really big experience. And like, I don't know, you're like even coming back. It's like you're trying to explain or show pictures to family, but it's like you wish you could like capture it in a bottle. Cause you're like, I'm not, this isn't doing justice to like what the experience was. Um, so yeah, I might have to go trials first. Um, just then because Tokyo, of like, the energy. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Uh, so afterwards, how did you sort of like the Olympic high and this whole come down that people talk about afterwards where now it's like, I've got to wait a couple of years until the next one. And it's sort of back to work 
the the cool part is that with track like 2022 world championships is not that far away so how did you sort of deal with that come down from like okay that was awesome but now like next up is like world championships and it's sort of like getting back into work yeah I think two things helped with that. I think first of all, like having pre not that far after and then doing a couple more races, I think that was actually really good for me because I think it was just like, you can't like, we flew right back and it was like, you're still like working out and in the routine. So I think you're like kind of processing what happened, but you're also like, I don't know. You're not just like, okay, that's the end of the season. Like now I'm ready for a big break. And I think, I also think the experience running in that final was so eye opening, And like, I feel like I learned so much about, how to compete at the global level that like you said, like, I was like, okay, like Eugene isn't that far away. And I like really want to like make that team and, you know, go back and try to, um, you know, take what I've, what I've learned in Tokyo and, and do it better next time. And so I think just like that being such a like salient, like motivating factor, um, I feel like really like drove me forward to almost be like, I don't, I like need to take time off and take a break because it's been a really long season, but I'm also like really excited to get back to work just because I feel like there are like a lot of ways, like small things that I could do to improve, you know, like bringing more, you know, intention to practice, focusing more on like how certain workouts, you know, are, you know, simulating a championship race situation or things like that. And um, yeah, I just felt like I had learned a lot that I wanted to put into practice. Because who is, I guess, like the big, driver when it came to the conversation of like racing after the Olympics pre is like, yes, that's a good one to kind of celebrate, you know, the summer, but then afterwards you still, you went back and did like the diamond league (laughs) circuit out there. And so many people had shut it down that part of me would have been, if I was in your shoes and be like, the Olympics are over. Like I'm, I'm tired of training, but then at the same time, it's like, this is your job. So I guess I could, I could see the case for why you should do it. Yeah. I definitely went back and forth like, and Jerry's so last minute, but I remember talking to him right after pre cause he had like mentioned like maybe, you know, trying to get into some races in Europe and he was just like, we'll see, like, we'll keep thinking about it. And like, Jerry, we like races start in like five days and we're like traveling to Europe. Like, this is like, we don't really have much time <laughs> to figure it out. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that race was Friday. And then I think on Monday, um, Jerry was like, I think we should do it. Like, I think we should go to Europe. Like, I think you should get a flight Tuesday. And I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, this is, so I think in that, in those couple of days of figuring out, I was like, Oh man, like a lot of people are shutting down their seasons, like, uh, like traveling to Europe since I get Trek. But then like, I think when it actually started to happen and I was on my way there, it was just like, Oh yeah, this is really exciting. Cause I think I still felt like I wasn't to the point where I was like fried, like I had more running left. And I was like, I'm excited, you know, to do a couple races back to back. Cause then you're not really like training you're just able to use like the fitness you have from the year um so yeah definitely glad with that with that decision because <laughs> grant brought up a very similar thing in the interview that he did with kyle this week in the lap count where when the day got changed for the meet you guys were still at altitude right when and like didn't travel in until like the day before Cause that's always how you guys do it, where you parachute in basically at the last minute. <laughs> and it's Jerry who decides when you guys make these yep. travel plans, who is, is kind of behind the scenes. Is there a travel person for the team or does he just 
shoot out these texts where it's like, <laughs> hey guys, like change your hotel, your flight info and like do it yourselves. We're not going until like tomorrow. I feel like that'd be like just added work to try and scramble together. It is. And that's exactly <laughs> how it goes. <laughs> Cause we, we were like waiting for his text as he's like, I'm not sure if it's going to be moved yet. Like we have to see. So he was like, don't do anything yet. And then a bunch of us were like, trying like trying to stay up but I was like I we need to go to bed like maybe we're leaving tomorrow we don't know it's also like an added factor because it's like you've been we've been in this Airbnb for like nine weeks so like you have to like you know clean clean out the fridge like pack like it's not really like like something that's going to take 20 minutes you know it's like a bit of a process but so yeah I was living with Andrea so like we had gone to bed and then I woke up at like seven or something the next day to a text that he had sent I think at like I don't know 11 p.m and it's just like this whole list of things like, like check out of your Airbnb, book a hotel in Flagstaff, change your flight, but don't like book a return flight yet because we're not a hundred percent sure if it's still changed, but you need to like book a new flight to come in a day later. And so it's like, <laughs> I just, I like vividly remember that. Cause I like woke up and like instantly, like didn't even get out of bed. I just like opened my computer and I was like, okay, now I need to call the rental car place. I need to extend our rental car for another day. So it was definitely like, a lot of logistics and, and moving pieces. Yeah. That Jerry was just like, which we appreciate that, like, you know, sound running and like everyone was like looking out for the best interest of, of the athletes, especially like after we were doing pre-meet in the wind, we were like, Oh my gosh, I can't imagine running 25 laps. But in the moment when you first hear from Jerry and you're like, all these things you're like, Oh my gosh, especially with Jerry, it's like, could we just go like 24 hours of four and just be there an extra day? I think it would be okay. I don't think that would be the end of the world, but. <laughs> so basically you got to run it by, you know, your coaches and, and agents probably, but Bowerman should consider just hiring like a logistics intern who will take care of all that stuff for the athletes. <laughs> Cause that just sounds like added stress that you guys shouldn't have on you guys. <laughs> Yeah. And then it's like, you know, then we have a bunch of group chats because now we're trying to coordinate. We're like, what hotel are people staying at? You know, where, like, what flight are you taking out? Because we all, you know, we're sharing a rental car. So we need to get down there at the same time. So yeah, lots of, lots of logistics. <laughs> so going back a couple of weeks before we get to the race at Sound Running, 1433 indoor American record, you break Shalane's record. She's the one who's yelling splits and coaching <laughs> you through it. So it's like a nice little kind of passing of the torch but training camp in Flagstaff seemed to have gone right like how how much did this performance like really sort of mean to you as kind of like a sign of you know or a reward of all the work that you've been putting in the past couple months yeah it meant a lot and I think you know kind of like we touched on earlier I think even just not having run like a fast setup 5k for two years I feel like it was just like I don't know that's something where like last summer you you know you're like I'm running at the trials and then I'm running in Tokyo and I'm like okay I know I'm like in, in better than 1448 shape but like you still are like I don't know what kind of shape I'm in like I, I definitely feel better than the year before so to like be able to you know have a race where we're focusing on on running fast and like really see the culmination of like the hard work and like the progress made like both in training but I also just think in you know like my mentality and my approach to like training and racing and like the mental side of things as well, like, um, was really cool to see come to fruition for sure. How much did that race hurt? Cause it looked like it was painful at the end. It was painful. <laughs> I think, 
I I'm still trying to work on like the slow squeeze down. Like Jerry gives me a hard time. That's like even had a couple workouts in practice where he was like, okay, we're going to like, you know, start at like 70 and squeeze down a second each lap. And then I would just like start in like, you know, 66 or something and basically do like a reverse squeeze down. And so I think like he reminded me for the race, he's like, okay, just do a settle squeeze down. But I think I just like, got really excited. Like, I think I knew that, you know, we had been Gabrielle and I and Courtney had been training together and we're in good shape. So when the pacer like stepped off and it was my turn to lead, I think I got a little excited and started running like some 66s in there. So definitely like, yeah, by the last like 400 was, was feeling it for sure. <laughs> how does, how does Jerry go about explaining those workouts? I guess for some of the listeners who like, I know you guys try and keep your, your workouts under wraps from time to time, but with a workout like that, where you're cutting down, you know, a second, every rep, um, how does he explain it to you in terms of just like what you should be getting out of this? And like, if executed properly, like this is going to help this part of your race. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. We usually like in specific workouts, especially we'll like the last couple of reps will be like, you know, for instance, if it's like, we're doing a 1200 or something like try to squeeze down just a little bit each lap. And I think, um, that's really helpful. And just like a race simulation, you know, especially a championship style race of just be ready for like, you know, like when it's tactical at the beginning and then it's going to be like a slow wind down and you still need to be able to like close at the end after you've like had to get progressively faster, you know, and running on fatigue legs. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of the focus. So then after that, was there any part of you that wanted to race us indoors and like, cause there's a world championships obviously ahead. grant played like the ultimate politician in his interview with Kyle, where, Kyle did kind of pose the question to him. And when Grant did the podcast with me about a year ago, when we talked about how you guys are very selective with, or Jerry, it's not you guys. Cause if it was up to you guys, I'm sure you guys would want to race yes, more often. Yes. But Jerry, Thank you. Thank you for clarifying <laughs> that. I feel like people give us so much flag and it's like, we would like, yeah, we would, we want to, but Jerry's it's, it's very, Jerry who's, the one who's selective about the races. <laughs> and Grant said, he understands how it's hard in this sport to try and build up storylines and like, you know, push people to like, Hey, you should watch this event because this person's going to be there when, you know, sometimes the plans are so last minute or they change. And so, you know, if it was up to you guys, I'm sure you wanted to run USA's, but there's a balance sort of as Grant put it, where it's an entertaining to see, those head-to-head matchups when teams are on the line. But at the same time, sometimes you do have the curiosity element to it too, where you want to see how fast you can go and push your body at the right time. And for you guys, it seems like as a team, that's what was prioritized this time around was how it, it seems like with Bowerman, everyone just kind of buys into to Jerry uh, when it comes to just like making these sort of decisions. But was there any sort of discussion about like running USA indoors? Yeah, there actually was. And I think, especially initially after the 5k, like I was like, I really want to go to USA's. I think, you know, just watching 
um, Milrose watching New Balance. Like I was just like, wow, people are firing on all cylinders. And like, I feel like it's just going to be like a really competitive, awesome meet. And I think, um, I hadn't done indoor in like several years, I think since like, I don't know, 2018 or something. So being back on, I mean, I love running on the bank track and being back doing the 5k, I was like, I really want to go to indoors. Um, so definitely had a discussion with Jerry. Like that's where I wish, I think a lot of us wish the 10 K had been like a little late, like where it would have been possible to do, to do both. Um, especially like, I remember like watching the meet and I was just like, wow, I really want to be like, I was like, I knew I wanted to do it, but then when you're like watching it happen and you're just, you know, seeing it at this really nice track and you see like the energy and just like the competitive juices, I mean like the 1500 being so close and like watching Heather's like smash the last lap. It was just like, you know, you can like feel that energy and you're like, wow, I wish I was there. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so it's like, it's, it's usually Jerry will have a discussion and, you know, like you're, you will feel like heard, but I think ultimately like we trust him and his like long-term plan. And so I think, you know, talking to him, I was like, what do you think, you know, is best to prepare us for, you know, June and July and the rest of the summer. And I think, you know, he felt like a 10 K fit, fit best into that. So that's kind of what we went with, but yeah, it was sad to miss out on, on USA's for sure. <laughs> so 30, 14, 66, just off of Molly Huddle's American record. That's kind of makes the decision pay off. I would say that like, <laughs> it was totally worth it. After the race, I watched a couple of the interviews that you did. You said you were disappointed. Now, I kind of get the feeling that was a little bit of like lactic brain right after a race. Like (laughs) that's your first sort of thoughts. But hit us with the process thoughts now after a couple of days of letting the performance sink in. You can't be too disappointed. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. I think (laughs) I think more just the last couple of days is more just like obsessing over the fact they were like 1.5 seconds and 25 laps is like nothing which like more just drives you crazy <laughs> I mean I was even talking to Jerry yesterday he's like he was like I was just saying like oh I wish my like second to last lap I think I could have found like two seconds there and he's like yeah and he's like then at least you can get down a deep rabbit hole when you just think of like exactly how much per lap one point seconds is over 25 laps and he's like that will really drive you crazy that's like one stride faster um per lap but No, I think like the more that I've like thought about it, I think um, I'm like very happy with like the way that I ran it. And I think that's, you know, even with a 5k too, I think when I talk about, you know, trying to work on, you know, things mentally, I think that's something that I've really wanted to focus on this year is just like taking some more risks, you know, leading more um, from the front, just practicing that. Cause that's not something that I've been, you know, super comfortable doing. And so I think when I look back at, you know, the way that I ran that 10 K and just, you know, really like staying calm um, and like getting in a good rhythm, like that's something that, that is really exciting to me. And I think, yeah, more just more just like, ah, like to be so close, but um I don't know. Like it was just, it was incredible atmosphere. So, um, you know, the crowd and then the pacing lights, like, which really helped me rally that last 400. I was like in a deep hole and I was like, just stare at the lights and go. So I think all of that, yeah, made, made for a really good experience. Okay. So with the lights, let's take this moment to clear up some even more confusion. (laughs) Jesse Williams, the meet director came out later on and said that they weren't set to the wrong time, which like a lot of people thought, um, and so they were set at 
13, 16. The American mm-hmm. record by Molly is 13, 13, 17. You had your eyes set on it. And from the video that even we took that we posted like on Instagram, when you it, it's like slowed down towards the very end, like you're smiling in that last like two two to three strides it could also be because like we're finally done with this thing but <laughs> did you know that the lights were set for 13 16 and then like was there any sort of confusion at the end I was very confused at the end because I hadn't really thought about the light situation I know that Jerry had told me before he was like we're gonna set them at 30 16 because he wanted us to go through the 5k and 1508 and then close off of that and I think the confusion started when I was like a couple seconds of ahead of the lights or most of the race. So I, it didn't, it wasn't, I think the purpose was like, okay, you just stay with the lights the whole time. And then you like close the last two laps and you can definitely get three seconds in the last two laps. Um, but I think having been ahead of them and then like them going ahead of me and having to catch up with them kind of messed up that plan <laughs> a little bit. Um, but I, yeah, I think at that point, toward the end, I was, I mean, the last 2k was like very brutal. So I was not really focused. I don't think at that point I was consciously realizing like, oh yes, remember Jerry said the lights were set at 30, 16. So you have to like catch the lights and then make sure you're three seconds ahead. Um, so it was like just that motivating factor, the last 400 to just like try to catch them and surpass them. Um, and, but I saw when I was crossing the line, I saw it go from 13 to 14. So I was like, I, I didn't get it. Like I watched 30, 14 come up, but then I like looked over at Shalane and, and our PT Colleen, they were jumping up and down. And they were like, you got it. And then at that point I was like, super confused. <laughs> like, I was like, unless there's like an adjustment for the time when I crossed the line, like I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, and then I think they, they like had realized it too. So at that point I was like, yeah, I don't think I got it. <laughs> It was like you said, like it, those last two laps really kind of were where a little bit of the difference maker was in the for the race and between like that record and and just being over 74. And then you had to rally and you did with a 67 like in the last lap. So in shifting those gears, like how did you sort of mentally it was did you hear someone tell you like this is what you need and you just kind of like turned it on or how did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, I honestly like I think at that point it was like literally just the lights. Like I don't remember someone might have yelled like you have to like get the lights or keep up with the lights and I think that I don't know, that just like yeah, switched something in my brain to like I was like okay, that's like a very tangible thing. Like you don't have to think about your like, you know, finishing the race now. You don't have to think about the split. Like I don't even think I heard like the second to last split, which I'm glad that I didn't cuz yeah, that I don't think I would have liked to hear my second to last one. It's like slow decline for a couple laps. Um, but I feel like once someone said that, I was just like, you know, just like stay on the lights. And then I got, I just like vividly remember getting to 300 to go. And I was just like, you have done, I, I miscalculated because I did remember looking at the clock and I thought I needed like a 68 to get it, but I actually needed a 66. But I was like, okay, I got to 300 mark and I was like, that's a 51, like second 300. I'm like, you've done so many of those, you can do that. And so I think when I was like, okay, like running that means like catching up with the lights, like that was kind of just like I had a one track mind focused on on doing that. And then yeah, I don't um I don't really know what came over me. I feel like the last hundred too, like I was just like the energy of like the crowd and like being like, okay, you're you can like, I don't know, the lights served kind of as 
like, you know, almost like you're racing against someone. It was like you, when you come down the final stretch and you're like, they're, you're closer to them than you realize and like you can get them. And so, yeah, it was a weird thing. Cause it was, it felt so much like, yeah, okay. You're like racing someone in you and you need to try to catch them, which is kind of a cool concept that you can get that from the lights. <laughs> so afterwards you, I think said on the broadcast that Shalane, I think at one point has said that, you know, sub 30 is definitely in the cards for you. Like that would be an American record for sure. And then also starting to get somewhat competitive on the world stage. Like, how do you want to sort of kind of go about getting to that point now? Is it just getting in the right race and relying on this fitness right now that like, cause the argument, I guess, between like, what would have got you the record and what like kind of having to run the race 7k of it for the most part leading by yourself is that if maybe Emily Sisson was in the race or uh even Carissa you know a healthy Carissa back in full form like could help push you I guess and like you know do a lot of that leading later on in the race like that would have probably also helped so what is it going to take to kind of make up that little extra ground that you need to get the record and then on top of that, after that, like then start to think sub, you know, uh, 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, I mean, I would love to like get in a race with like Emily, Carissa, you know, like Leisha Monson, like just, I think there's just like a lot of depth in the women's 10 K too. And I think that's really exciting. And again, like that just brings a whole different energy too. like, even watching, you know, Grant and Mo, it's just like when you're doing it with like a couple other people around you, I just think you really feed off that energy. So you feel like, okay, yeah. we're in something together and we're all, you know, running really fast. And I think that's exciting. I also think, um, hopefully just some more 10 Ks. Like I think this being my third one also being like set up very differently than like the one last year. Like, I think, I don't, I don't remember what we came through, but like coming through the 5k, like I think like 40 seconds felt like last year we, you know, were more conservative the first 5k and the plan was like for Chris and I to, you know, squeeze it down. And again, we had, you know, Corny and Vanessa rabbited through us through, I think like 7k or something. So, um, we didn't have to lead very much. And so I think just like having had that stimulus now of like, okay, you're going out in like, I don't know, 1505 or something. And then you have to, you know, run a, another 5k after that. I think just now having that, you know, experience and continuing to, to work on just like the strength side of things, um, a little bit more so I can better handle, handle that last 2k. And then that was one of the things that was pointed out, like in the let's run recap of it, where it was like, why didn't Courtney just pace this one? Cause like she proved she has the wheels to like, you know, she got the world championship qualifier there and like now has that in her back pocket, but the presumption she's not going to run the 10k at USA is because she's going to, you know, obviously go for the steeplechase. So yeah. why wasn't she just used as, as a pacer to go much further on? Like, do you have an answer for that? Yeah. I mean, I think like she had paced last year and I think, you know, Jerry's been wanting her to run a 10 K. She just is like very aerobically strong. And, um, I think has done a lot of like work this fall and then at winter camp to like, you know, work on that 10 K strength. And I think she was excited to see what she could do over the distance and, and try something different. And, um, she's so good at pacing. Like she's just a metronome and even in practice. So she, I think she's done so much pacing for us before. It's like, time for her to have her, her own race and, and not be, um, 
you know, the one to sacrifice her race and, and rabbit this time around. <laughs> so where do, where do things kind of go from here? Like, I know you're back in Portland for the, you know, like two weeks that you guys end up spending <laughs> all year there and still somehow pay a full year of rent uh, <laughs> out there. But I guess what's the plan between like now and, you know, the outdoor season, are you guys going back to altitude in a couple of weeks or, um, how does this sort of, you check the box of like getting the world championship qualifier. So, I mean, that's easy. That's good to take care of now that you can just focus on top three at, uh, USA's. Yeah. So I think we'll be in Portland for, um, like a month, which is pretty good, pretty good stint for us <laughs> longer than you, longer than the two weeks. Um, and then I think the plan is to go up to, uh, park city sometime in April for, um, altitude since yeah, the 10 K will be, um, you know, end of May. So we'll want to be up for like a month or so before then. Um, I haven't talked to Jerry, but I would love to run a 1500 somewhere in, in April, I think. Yeah. Get back to maybe a couple 1500s. So, um, we'll see, but yeah, then we'll be, I think in park city, you know, up leading up until the 10 and then probably go back up then leading up for, you know, that, the, the rest of USA's. Is there, I haven't looked at the schedule flexibility to try and qualify for the 10 K that's its own event, but then double at USA's with the 15 and the five K and then have like the possibility of making three different teams <laughs> and then having to choose like, all right, maybe I want to do the, 10k 1500 like at worlds or something like that i i don't know i haven't looked at the schedule i'm guessing i feel like usually you can do 15 5 15 5 double like i know yeah i'm pretty sure like i know shelby did that in 2019 um i actually did that in 2019 so yeah i don't know i haven't looked at the schedule but might as well just, it's obviously going to be up to Jerry and Shalane, but then I mean, you have the, the chance to try and go for, for three different teams. Yeah. Um, so sub four in the 1500, that's gotta be top of mind. Yeah. That, I think that's like very top of mind to like <laughs> something that, yeah, is definitely. And I like joke with Jerry all the time. So, cause I'm like, I left college as a 1500 meter runner and like, I don't know now to have, run sub 15 and sub 31. I, I gotta get sub four. <laughs> Cause what is the, like the U S club that's pretty elusive is sub two in the 800 sub four in the 15 and then sub 15 in the, in the five K you've got the five K the four fifteen hundred you're at four Oh two and the 800 you're at two Oh four, but like in the right race, you could give those two shorter ones a scare. I also, I need to see if I can, if Jerry will let me run an 800. I've been bothering him for the last two years. I'm like, please let me get an 800. Like we did one at the, you know, meets that we had in, um, in yeah, 2020, but that was like the last one. And I was like, so absolutely fried at that point. It was like, it was like, I was like, I need to get in, in an 800. So yeah, I'm, I'm now trying to, with uh, Lucia Stafford joining her and Gabriella have been, you know, pushing me in some of the speed and, and 1500 workouts. They're just, they're so speedy. So I've like been telling them and Ben and Jerry's ear of like, please let me get in, in eight and 1500. So we'll see. <laughs> All right. So aside from that, I'm kind of like trying to take a look here at some of the other things that happened this past weekend. 
you on uh instagram i guess like it also afterwards you guys all shared you vanessa and grant uh, had some sort of tribute for Katie Meyer, the Stanford soccer player um, who unfortunately took her own life a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I guess like, did you, did you know her? Like, I know it's part of like the whole Stanford community, but uh, like what went into sort of like you guys paying tribute and like the behind the scenes of like making that happen as, cause you not only wrote her name or her initials and her number on your wrists, but then afterwards you also donated your, prize money to like the memorial fund that's been set up yeah yeah so I don't know her or didn't know her personally um but I think you know Vanessa and I had just like talked about it a lot right after it happened and we couldn't really stop thinking about it I just think you know when it's in like a community that you were in and especially like it being like her being a student athlete like I think it just hits very close to home of like wow that could be you know like any one of your friends like it's just like yeah such an intense environment um and I think just so like heartbreaking too and it's like someone yeah that's 22 years old and we had just heard you know so much about her I mean even just like watching the um you know when they won the um the national title just like the energy that she had it seemed like you know with like talking to people that knew her of like you know the light that she was and then um, you know, Grant's brothers on the men's soccer team. So I think that like hit really close to home as well. And um, yeah, we had seen, you know, a bunch of the Stanford teams were, you know, putting like tape on their wrist or, you know, writing her initials um, on their wrist or, you know, like on their, you know, field hockey sticks or whatever equipment. And I think um, Vanessa had a great idea of like, you know, let's write um, her initials, you know, just kind of pay tribute to her and, um, you know, like run for her in this race. And, um, I think that was, yeah, we just wanted to do it in terms of like, yeah, paying, paying tribute to her and, you know, the Stanford community as a whole. Yeah. I mean, and the whole story is heartbreaking and sad where it's like, I mean, brings attention to like, you just never know what someone is going through and you just kind of like always want to try and be there for other people in kind of a similar light when it comes to just like, especially when things are online all the time, like within the past year, you've had to answer so many questions regarding, you know, your not friendship, but just like your ties to Shelby, who is currently serving her doping ban. And, and then on top of that appealing where, you know, even like anyone can go to like the Bowerman track club, Instagram posts and like the comment section in there can sometimes you you've got people on there who are posting either anonymously or just like cracking jokes or, or whatever about the situation where how do you sort of tune some of that out when it tries to get personal with you? Has it been hard dealing with like the doubt that people cast over the group now? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, you know, I think the biggest thing I would say that's been the hardest is just like being very good friends with her and seeing that stuff. And I think that's where, you know, it's heartbreaking again, kind of like you're saying, of like you never know what people are going through and just like seeing her as a friend and a person and a human. And then, you know, for people to get online and be saying things um, that's like pretty upsetting. So, you know, you're like her life has been completely, you know, ripped out from under her and just seeing, you know, the struggle that, you know, she's going through dealing with that. And also just like, you know, missing her presence as, you know, someone on the team, like she's someone that has had a huge impact, you know, since I joined the team. And I think in like 
you know, elevating the bar and, you know, changing the narrative of like what's possible and like, you know, setting those, those big goals. And so, um, that's definitely felt, you know, with her absence, like at practice every single day. Um, but I think too, it's, yeah, I think, you know, I try not to think too much about just like the doubt it casts on the whole group. I think we all know what we're doing and, you know, how hard we're working and, um, you know, doing things the right way. And, you know, all of us believe in clean sport. And so, um, I think it's just like, people are going to have their doubts, but if, you know, we're going about it the right way that ultimately at the end of the day, like that's all we can control. So I think that's something that, yeah, that I try to focus on. Have you tried to kind of like step up as like, or in general, like who has kind of tried to fill those shoes as like a leader on the team? Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, like within the past year, like it's, definitely been a void where like I'm sure Shelby used to lead a lot of like the hard reps and stuff and so now do you find yourself like up in front like is that Gabrielle is it Courtney someone who's been with the team longer yeah I think it's I mean I think it's a little bit of everyone you know trying to just like step up and yeah try to I mean it's just in general too like I think our team has gone through so much transition in the last like year year and a half Um, so, and we have like, you know, Andrew and Lucia who just joined and we're, we're a much smaller group now. So I think just, yeah, we've been trying to, you know, work through that as a team of just like, you know, everyone stepping up and, you know, sharing, you know, the leading and reps or things like that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been hard. As you said, like I said, when I first joined the team and even, you know, the first couple of years, like wasn't finishing, you know, very many of the workouts or was just being like you know, Shelby was leading so much of them and Chris and I were just like, you know, hanging on. And I was like, you know, just just stick on Shelby, stick on Shelby. So, um, I'm grateful though, that I, you know, I feel like she like had a presence, like I said, of, you know, like teaching, you know, she was like very much like lifting other people up around her. So it's like, she taught us a lot of things that now I feel like I can use, you know, just like, yeah, like, you know, getting like stronger by staying healthy and, and being consistent. And so then, you know, now I'm able to lead like more reps when I wasn't, wasn't able to do that, you know, last year or the year before. So yeah, I think it's kind of a group group effort. It's so interesting to think like how much the team changes like over time. Like I'm sure I'm trying to remember like Colleen being on the team when, when you started and then like, yeah, you know, the men's side feels like there's, there's been a lot of change with like, cd and ryan hill and and even evan being like the old man and uh, of the of this of the men's side it's <laughs> it's so it's so funny but then now you have this influx of you know three canadians joining the team within the past year and a half where you know, the, the the women's side is like feels like it's half canadian right <laughs> yeah it is yeah yeah basically yeah there's seven of us and and we have three canadians so yeah we were like that happened that happened really quick too but yeah it's crazy i mean even from like last fall to this fall it was like, I think we, there was like, I don't know, 13 of us or something. And now it was like, yeah, it went through a lot of transition. Like there was only, um, you know, Courtney's like the only like OG kind of left. So, <laughs> so you and Chris ended up getting the matching tattoos who went about, I guess like getting the artwork done and then the decision for the ribs must've been so painful. (laughs) Yeah. We, uh, we had talked about it for a bit and then we were actually like, so 
last minute. Like we ended up doing it like right before we, we left for altitude. We were like, we have to do this now or like, it's not going to happen. Cause it was like the next year, like, like you said, you know, we'll be in and out of Portland. We'll be at altitude. So we were like, we got to do it. Um, so we had talked for a while about trying to come up with the design. And then she ultimately found like one online kind of with like the shading of the rings, which we really liked. Um, and so, yeah, we went with that and then decided to add um, like the number Olympiad that it was in, in Roman numerals. And then um, my word like last year that was really big was Sisu. So I added that in the rings. It's a Finnish word for like um, kind of like perseverance and grit basically, but it kind of means like past the point of perseverance. And that was a word that just like, I kind of kept coming back to last year. And I feel like was like a very big focus of like kind of my season and, and approach. So, um, yeah. And then she decided to get on her ankle and the rib decision, it was definitely, is definitely painful. The guy who did it like did an amazing job. And he was like, this is like the hardest tattoo I've done all year just because the circles have to be so perfect. And so I was like trying not to breathe, trying not to move, but <laughs> glad we did it. <laughs> yeah. So on the team, uh, you, Evan, and is it Courtney have the rib tattoos? Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, man. I just got, I just got one on my arm like the, the, uh, like two months <laughs> ago and just having to, how long did it take? Um, I'm trying to think maybe like an hour, a little less than an hour. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. Like it wasn't like, yeah. a, you know, it wasn't like one of those like three or four hour ones. Like that, that was it. I, it was definitely like toward the end. You're like, I don't know how people get like the, yeah. Full sleeves or something that take like three hours that you're just like, I don't know. I feel like by the end you'd be so, so over it. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's painful to think about, but I mean, again, I guess at the end of the day, like you guys are the only ones who can get the rings tattoos. And so you kind of had to do it at some point. <laughs> Gotta do it. Yeah. Well, Elise, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Like, so you have no idea like when you're going to race again next, right? Yeah, no idea. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm going to put a, put a word into Jerry. I hope April, I hope one of the, yeah. Awesome. 1500s in April somewhere, but we'll see. Perfect. Well, uh, we'll try and get you back on the show probably ahead of USA's or, We'll probably be doing a lot of stuff at USA's and even at Worlds, so I'm sure we'll cross paths again very soon. Yes, and are you gonna are you gonna set up the uh, basketball court challenge at USA's? I think so. <laughs> we were just I, I just told Marvin Bracy when I had him on the podcast that we probably should do something where you get 25 shots and you get 10 bucks for every half court shot that you make, so that like the athletes can make up to $250, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. So, but because we, we, we don't want to send anybody to jail during the world championships. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure we'll come up with something fun. And we'll try and get like a basketball set up out there too. Okay, I want to see it. I want people to be like actually put to test if they they would do it or not when they realize how hard or easy half court shot is yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks so much elise thank you the city of smack podcast is a production of the city of smack podcast network it is produced and edited by mike zerzolo did you enjoy this episode enough to dish out a couple bucks support city of smack by pledging any dollar amount over on patreon.com slash city of smack to join our loyal legion of backers who keep this show going strong 
If you're on your phone right now, you can also open up the Venmo app and hit us with a one-time donation to at SidiousMag. We've also got merch over on SidiousMag.com. Any way you can show your support goes a long way. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you next time.